You may be seated today. Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 4. I'm continuing the series that we started called Unshakable. Can you say Unshakable? Unshakable. I've been doing it for several weeks now, and we, we have a Saturday night service too. We just started it, and I would encourage you, if you have not come, I want you to come one Saturday night and just check it out. Same things we got going on for kids. We have a little meal after, a great experience, and I think you'd enjoy that. We've got plenty of room on Saturdays. But this series, Unshakable, has been an opportunity to try to help you have unshakable faith in uncertain times. And how many know we live in an uncertain day? The future in our country, it almost seems like everybody's scratching their heads and wondering what in the world is going to happen. Well, can I tell you, if your life is in the hands of God, no matter what happens out there, in here you can still have a settled sense of peace and security because how many know our Father is the one that cares for us and our life is in His hands? We're looking at Bible characters and trying to see how they had this unshakable faith and lessons to learn. Joseph taught us about waiting. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taught us about conviction, refusing to, 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 to do what's wrong, that we would have courage to stand for what's right. Last week, a lady named, uh, all we know is Lot's wife, she looked back at her old life and was destroyed. So we talked about focus, not living in the past, not looking back to the old ways, but looking ahead to what God would have for us. Now this morning, the two words I want to speak about are the words purpose and timing. Can you say purpose, purpose. and timing? Two big words that we'll explore through the lives of Esther and Mordecai. The book of Esther, the passage that we look on this morning is in Esther 4. The truth that I want to communicate to you today is simply this. God has something for you to do, and there's a right time to do it. Let me say it again. God has something for you to do, and there's a right time to do it. This message has global implications in terms of the big picture of your life, what's, what you're accomplishing between birth and death, but it also has an element of purpose for each day. There are opportunities that God brings you and that God brings me to advance His kingdom each day, to do things that would please the Lord as I serve Him. And these opportunities sometimes have an expiration label on it. How many know if God wants you to speak to someone, if you're at Walmart, if you're in a restaurant, or if He wants you to share your faith or pray for someone? How many know if you don't do it then and you miss that moment? How many know that's a, a lost moment? So we're going to talk about these words, purpose and timing this morning. Esther 4.14 Esther now is the queen, Mordecai is her cousin, and the whole Jewish nation is about to be destroyed by decree from King Xerxes. The wicked Haman has, from jealousy from the Jewish people, issued a decree that he's going to wipe out the Jewish people. And now Mordecai makes an appeal to Esther and says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief will arise from the Jews from some other place. Now, I mean, that's a powerful statement. That is unshakable faith that Mordecai had. Because he believed that God was going to care for the nation, whether Esther did her role or not. But he said, you and your relatives will all die. And this next phrase is the pivotal verse of the entire book. It says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Purpose and timing. You, Esther, were made queen. And the reason was not just so you could enjoy the power and all the, all the niceties and all the money and all the benefits from being queen, but there's a kingdom purpose in your promotion. And the time for you to act is now. And I will suggest there's a profound implication for us as we look at our lives and live our lives after the model of Esther. Um, let me... We're going to begin it, go to chapter 2 in verse 17, but let me, let me paint a little more of the picture about the plot of this story and the characters. Again, Mordecai and Esther, they are, they're Jews. They are, have been enslaved in Persia for a number of years. 
This book is written in the same period of time that Nehemiah and Ezra and the rebuilding of the Jewish people is taking place. They were sent in exile to Persia. They were sent uh, uh, in this part of the world because of the sins of their fathers. And now God is rebuilding the nation. But yet there is always spiritual opposition to the work of God. How many know that? Whenever you want to advance in your spiritual life, when you try to make steps forwards, how many of the devil is right there to stop you? Because he wants to hinder you. He wants to shut down the work in your life. And lo and behold, uh, Esther is made queen in this story. It's a remarkable story. You know, in the book of Esther, it's the only book in the Bible that you don't see the word God written. It's not there. Because, but, or, but rather, you see his handiwork throughout the book. You see the sovereign hand of God guiding, and you see the hand of God leading. You see the hand of God moving and working in the hearts of, the, uh, uh, of Esther and the Jewish people. You look down at our world today, and our world's pretty confused. The World Bank doesn't know what to do. Our government doesn't know what to do. Leaders of the world don't know what to do. And these people who have misused their power, what they're telling us is basically just give us more power so we can fix the problems. Can I tell you, God looks at them and God laughs you do realize that the world is moving towards a place where the Antichrist will emerge one day. One day there will be a one-world government, a one-world currency. One day there will be a one-world ruler that will, that will tell the world he has the, the answers to the problems. But it's all a lie and it's all a deception. But God has the solution to this world's problems. And He's able to look down, and you will find most of the time in the Bible that God, God advances His purposes not through angels, but through people. And this woman was exalted from the place of slavery, and she was placed in a place of royalty. I mean, well, that's an incredible thing that happened. But it was not just for her benefit. It was to protect the kingdom of God, to protect the people of God. Now, Haman, again, he is the, he's like the, the vice president of Persia. The Persian king, his name is Azaris or Xerxes. It's the same person. And as the right-hand man to the king is this guy named Haman. He's a wicked guy. And in the story, Haman had asked, or demanded rather, that Mordecai the Jew bow to him. Mordecai, uh, I believe, interpreted that as some form of idolatry in their pagan system. He refused to do it. Haman was so enraged that he decided not only was he going to kill Mordecai, but he was going to kill all the Jews as well. So that's how the story unfolds. And we're going to see the hand of God move in the life of Esther in a profound way in terms of her purpose and the timing of God that she had to act. Because how many know timing has an expiration label? You can sometimes miss the opportunity that God would bring before you. So let's look at some spiritual principles this morning from the life of this godly woman. Esther chapter 2, verse 17. And I want to first address this word purpose. And I will say this to you, there is more to life than having fun. God has something for us to do. Can, can you say that with me? There is more to life than having fun. God has something for us to do. Uh, take a pick, uh, verse 17. And the king loved Esther more than any other of the young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head, this slave girl, and he declared her queen instead of Vashti, who was the former queen. Verse 18, to celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, and he declared a public holiday for the provinces, and gave generous gifts to everyone. Now, that's, I mean, that's a pretty big party. But here's what I want you to see. Here's a girl that started out in slavery, and I guarantee you she is just like you. Rather than wearing fake jewelry, she'd probably like to wear nice jewelry. Rather than having a little diamond, she'd rather have a big diamond. And all the ladies said, 
Nothing wrong with diamonds, but I want to tell you there's more to life than diamonds. I'm sure that maybe she uh, uh, liked to bass fish, maybe, and she probably had to fish in a poor little canoe, and she'd like some big rig with a 150-horsepower motor. Come on. And how many know when you're the queen, you can do that? But guess what? There's more to life than bass boats. In our lives, there's something called purpose. Now, we're going to explore this this morning. You see, God had made this woman beautiful. God had given her favor with the king, but her success was for more than her. Now, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. Our success is not just for us. When God elevates you in life, when He does something with your life, it is not just for you. It's for His kingdom. I will suggest to you, many of you today, that when I was speaking about Haiti, many of us have the potential and have the potential to do something significant. God doesn't just bless you for you, but He blesses you for His kingdom. I try to live my life, and I'll tell you it's difficult sometimes, that when money and things come through my hand to say, Lord, is this yours, or, or you want me to do something with it, uh, or can I enjoy it? You know, what am I supposed to do? Is this daily bread? Is it to enjoy, or is it to invest? And it's difficult sometimes to take what God gives you and just turn it over and just write your name on it and don't put deposit only. How many understand what I'm talking about? But to allow yourself to be a channel. But can I tell you, friends, if you can't trust God with a little bit, if I couldn't trust God to take care of me for a couple hundred bucks, listen, what is this thing about? And God gives us things. He promotes us. He does things with us. He gives us success in business. He gives us intellect. He gives us looks. He gives us those things to get the attention of the world. You remember, was it Tim Tebow, Heisman winner a couple years ago? Well, listen, he's got the world looking at him, and what does he put under his eye eyebrows instead of just the black, uh, you know, the black reflective stuff So from the lights? He puts scriptures under his eyes because he knows the whole world is going to look at him, and he sees his success as a platform, come on, so that he might bring glory to God. Several years ago, and I forgot the pitcher's name, but uh, when the Dodgers won the World Series several years ago, and after the winning pitch, was it... Can't think of his name. But anyway, after, after the winning pitch, he gets down on one knee. See, and, and, and the cameramen, they go crazy. The commentators, the pagan people, they don't have anything to do with it. But these guys have realized my success is not just for me. But my success has a kingdom purpose to it. And I'll suggest you don't have to be a sports athlete. Whatever you do in life, the respect that you have in your machine shop, the respect that you have earned in your business, uh, the intellectic school that helps you have the answers and people want to ask for tutoring and all those things, all of these can be used to foster a kingdom purpose or we can use it all on ourselves. God has a had a purpose for Esther's life and He orchestrated her life to do that. But we have a purpose as well. And broadly, our purpose is to reach people and expand the kingdom of God. You see, because what God is doing on this earth today, He's really only doing one thing. He's populating heaven. That's what God is doing all over the world today is He's populating heaven. He's extending His call to people that they might be saved, that they might mature, that they might serve Him all over the world. And that's what He's doing is He's preparing a people for eternity. And we've got a part to play in that. But yet sometimes we get so caught up in the, in, in the pursuit of pleasure and fun that we forget that there's purpose. Do you know that the, in American culture today, virtually everything we do is judged by whether or not we enjoyed it? What, what do we ask people when they went somewhere did something? Did you? Yeah, if you went to watch the Hogs play yesterday and, you know, Mallet throw the ball, did they win or lose, by the way? Oh, they won. Does Dallas play today? At 3 o'clock. We will be done by 3 o'clock. But everything we ask was, do we enjoy it? Do we have fun? Do we have a good time? 
Now listen, thank God for a good time. The Bible is filled with people that enjoy life. Uh, uh, Jesus came that we might enjoy life to the fullest, the Bible says in the book of John. But there's something more than having fun. And it's your purpose. And that's what I want to nudge you about today, is there's purpose for your life, but you can miss it. Now his purpose can be something big. And, and how many know what happened with Esther was a really big deal? I mean, when you have a potential nation to save... Uh, but your purpose can also be what other people might term as small, or you might even think is small. Let me give you a little story. I, I had the privilege of doing a, a memorial service this week for a church member, Leon Collins. Leon was 85 when he died. They moved to Texarkana about seven years ago. And as the world looks at someone who's 78 years of age, they say, yeah, not much, not much use there. I mean, he's not going to be worth uh, medical decisions in the future, you know, no hip replacement. I mean, it just, you're that age, you're just kind of, your life is nearly over. Just watch TV and, you know, keep your mind sharp by playing, you know, crossword puzzles and that. And that's kind of it. But he didn't accept life that way. I, most of the time that I knew him, he was dragging around a little uh, green oxygen bottle with him, and you would think, well, gosh, pity the poor man. But that's not the way he lived his life. You see, when they moved in their duplex in their neighborhood, long about 3.30, there began to be a, a noise in the neighborhood. It was kids that were running wild in the neighborhood because they didn't have mom or dad looking out for them. They're kind of latchkey kids. Kids everywhere, a lot of single parents in their neighborhood. And you know what he and his wife said they're going to do? We're just going to adopt these kids, and we're going to be kind of a surrogate grandma and grandpa to these kids. So rather than just saying, turn the TV up because of all the noise, they said, let's invest a little of our life in these kids. And in his memorial service, two of these kids shared a little testimony how grandpa had, had loved them and cared for them so much. But he had done something which few people do is he, he scripted out some words he wanted me to say in, in, in his memorial service, and his wife had written these words down. And what they reflected on was the fact that how they loved these kids. Now listen, and it was kind of funny how they would get in between mom and the kids when there was an argument going on. But here's what it said also. We had the kids bring their Bibles to our house every day, and we taught them the Bible. That we took advantage of the opportunity. There was a purpose for us as folks in their 70s and 80s, and it was influencing people. So you can either just watch TV and play more games, or you can find in the context of your life purpose to minister to people. And I want to suggest to you, friends, there's nothing greater, and there's nothing that will ultimately give you more satisfaction than when you take your eyes off of yourself and begin to look at the world that Christ died for. Someone give the Lord a big hand this morning. It has to do with purpose. And I hope, I, I try to make Bible messages very, very relevant to you. One of my goals when I prepare a message is that you might be able to take what I say and apply it to your life. And hopefully as you're sitting here, hopefully there's a voice within the voice. That is, that within my voice, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about some opportunity that's before you. Because yours may not be as deliberate and graphic as it was for the Jewish people who are about to be annihilated, but there are just things that come across our pathway that the Holy Spirit wants us to invest our life in. And there's a purpose behind it, but there's another key word. It's the word timing. Can you say timing? And let me make this statement. And it is that the sovereign God is orchestrating the affairs of our life so we can fulfill His purpose at the right time. Can you say the right time? Now let me remind you of our text this morning in Esther 4.14. Mordecai asked his cousin Esther, Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just... So there's that timing issue when opportunities come by you that if you don't take advantage of it, the time can slip through your fingers. 
Now, I want you to explore this just a minute because this has broad implications of your life, but it has very specific things that happen to us each day. It's like Mordecai was saying to Esther, God put you here to do something about this problem, and the time to do it is now. The time is not to think about it, but it's the time to act. God in His omniscience and foreknowledge, and the word omniscience simply means God knows everything. God is all-knowing. Now, how many know God lives in a realm of eternity? We live in what's called time. God sees the end from the beginning. We see it sequentially. You and I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Now, you probably have plans. I dare say you have plans for lunch. Uh, if you don't, listen, um, who can invite, who can we go to lunch with today? Uh, Pat, Pat is a great cook. We'll just go over to her house for lunch today. If you don't have lunch plans, and watch the Cowboys at 3. Where are you, Pat? Wave your hand, everybody. Okay, all right, so we'll give maps to her house. Now, I dare say you've probably got plans for the day. But you know what? Plans are often not fulfilled. I talked to three people in our church. This is very unusual. Three people in our church this week that had family members die a sudden unexpected death. Three of them. Two of them in their 40s. One happened two days ago. I heard one happened last Monday or Tuesday that someone literally choked on their food. They were by themselves. I mean, in your 40s. How I many of this is not supposed to happen? And though we think that we know what the future is, we don't. But God does. What I want you to see, there's two things that work. There's a master designer that I cannot explain to you. My mind can't get around the fact of how God can have predestination, which means He's chosen me before I chose Him. He elected me. But even in His foreknowledge, He let me still make choices. He knows what people are going to do, but somehow God's invitation to us and God's sovereign hand still works with our free will in the package. But listen, God knew that Haman was going to kill the Jews. And he could have stopped it. He could have prevented Haman from being born or something. But the way God usually works is not by assigning an angel to take care of the issue. He usually calls a person. And I will suggest to you that God groomed Esther as a young girl. He created her to be beautiful. He supernaturally promoted her with a kingdom purpose because he knew that there would be a need at a specific point in time. Now listen, you need to understand that God sets boundaries of time and location in our life. Now, I want you to just pause just a minute, and particularly if you are just exploring Christianity and, and don't really understand how this whole God things works. L look at this big picture. Acts 17, 26, Paul is preaching to the people of Athens, and he makes this statement. He said, from one man, and he's talking about Adam, from one man, God made every nation of men, which means every one of us share a common ancestor. Point your finger at somebody and say, I guess we're cousins. And you married a cousin, too. Let me go ahead and tell you that. Now, hopefully it wasn't too close a cousin, but you married a cousin if we all descended from Adam's race. Okay, let's just, you know. That they should inhabit the whole earth. See, there's a guiding hand behind the inhabiting of the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God inserts people in time. He causes them to be born in certain places and in certain locations. I want you to let this kind of think through. God has a master plan for your life. He decides when and where we're born. You had nothing to do with it. You had zero to do with it. In my own life, I was inserted into time on, August, on April 24th. 1957 at Methodist South Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. 
That's where I came into the world. You came in, you came in earlier than I did. You came in later than I did. It was not an accident, and your life is not a mistake. You see, one of the downsides of a world with evolution that doesn't have the deliberateness of a creator suggests to us that our life is just an accident, and we're just kind of one accident waiting to happen. You know, it takes more faith to believe that than it does in the deliberate hand of a creator. Be you call him an intelligent designer or God himself, listen, it takes more faith to believe what the evolutionist believes, that everything came from nothing, rather than that everything came from someone who created it. It's a lot more faith to believe this all came from nothing with no sense of coherence or deliberateness about it. But I was inserted in time in that day, had no clue what was going to happen. God could have had me born in China. I could have been a, a, a Chinese person. I could have been born in Africa. I could have been born in the Middle East. Listen, I could have been born, or you could have been born in a mud hut in Pakistan. I mean, you could have been one of those Muslim guys that are just, you know, that just kind of go crazy over everything. But you weren't. God caused you to be born in a certain place. And I've had three significant timing things that have happened in my life that got me to where I am today. I remember when I was 19 and, and I was lost. I was not a believer, didn't know about the voice of God or anything. But when my friend asked me to join the military with him, I said this, and this is prophetic. Here I'm 19 years, just this wild, worldly guy. And I told my friend, I said, listen, I've never thought about this in my whole life, okay? Never talked to it about my parents. And I told my friend, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to do this with you because if I don't do it, I feel like I missed something in my life. They just, what was that? That was somehow when I didn't even know what was going on, the hand of God that was directing my life because he knew that one day I'd be standing here in front of you. I had another very deliberate act of timing in my life. My wife and I, this was 22 years ago, we, we were going to plant, we'd left California and we were going to plant a church, we thought, in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And we went to Dallas at Church of the Rock International and talked to them about our dream and we were going to get, you know, the financing set up and all those things. Well, lo and behold, the day I show up to go and plant a church in Nashville is the same day a man from Palestine, Texas, shows up and says, you know, I feel like God's wanting me to go to Florida and I need someone to take this church I'm pastoring in Palestine. I'll never forget, the man's, uh, the administrator there, his name was Doug, he was a pastor, and he said, I, I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but you being here wanting a church and he being here leaving his church, would you at least pray and see if God might be directing you to spend at least a portion of time here in Texas with us? And we went home and we felt God say, do that. It was not an offer of money or salary, I can assure you that. It was just simply because the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go and be. So it was a, a step we took. About 10 months after that, uh, Pastor Kennedy was said, I want you to come and preach in, in Texarkana. They need a pastor there. I said, well, I just got here where I am. He said, no, I feel like you're supposed to go there. I feel like you at least go and preach. I'm driving from uh, Tyler, Palestine area, coming Highway 155. And I remember like it was yesterday, there was a little bottom. And it, it was a bridge and it had water on it. There were cypress trees all around it. When I crossed the second bridge, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go and pastor that church in Texarkana. Now, I hadn't come here. I hadn't preached a sermon. I hadn't seen a financial statement. I probably wouldn't have come if I had. <laughs> I hadn't talked to anybody, but somebody was talking to me. So before I preached the sermon, I felt like God saying, this is something that I want you to do. And that's why I'm standing here today, 20, 20, 20 years after that, is because the Holy Spirit was sovereignly guiding my life. Now, I want you to see that this issue of timing, God wants to very deliberately guide your life, and you can say yes or you can say no. And what you say determines your future. Now, listen, if you get off track, I believe you can get back on track. 
But I want to tell you, sometimes you will miss great, great opportunities that God has for you, and you have to learn how to deal with God's second best. You know, Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are... Now, that's, that's generic. That's men. That's women. The steps of good people. And what makes a person good? It makes you good because Christ is what makes you good. It's His blood that washes you. It's His calling that gives you identity in the family. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. Now, look at Psalm 139. If you have any question about abortion and the creative hand of God behind that infant, about a half a dozen verses that surround this passage will, is so illuminating. Psalm 139, verse 16, the Bible says, You saw me before I was born. Now think about this. You saw me, you God, saw me. Not fetal tissue. Not, 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 not cells. You saw me. Human identity, human potential. You saw me before I was born. And, and listen to this next verse. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day of my life, and this is before you were even born, God penned a pathway for your life. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isn't that incredible to think that God has a pathway for you? That you have not only purpose, but you have pathway, and timing keeps you on pathway. Can, can I say this to you? If you are a Christian, and if you are endeavoring to do the will of God, and I don't mean you're perfect, but I just mean you have a general sense about you, is, Lord, I want your will in my life. How, how many does that apply to today? Now, can I say this about you? You are, who you are is who God wants you to be. Let me just say this again. Who you are is who God wants you to be. See, many of us look in the mirror, and we don't like who we are. We don't, we don't like the color of our skin. We don't like the fact that we're born in what people call a redneck area or this area or that area or that word that they... We don't like that about us. And our world, through its victimization modes and class envy and all those kind of things that are put on us, we look in our world and we don't like things about... We don't like the fact that our parents didn't have any money. and We don't like the fact that this and that and all that... We don't like the fact that we're a man or we don't like the fact that we're a woman or, or that we're old or that we're young or that we're... Can I tell you, if you are walking with God, who you are is who God wants you to be. I feel so sorry for people that believe they are transgendered and want to change their sex and their identity. Listen, if you could just come, if you could get saved and you could realize that who you are is who God wants you to be. Because you'll never find happiness through doctors changing or however they do that or making money or education. Oh, you'll never find happiness apart from accepting yourself to who you are, who God has created you to be. I'm telling you, that is liberating. But it's not only who you are, it's where you are. If you're trying to walk with God, where you are is where God wants you to be. It just amazes me how many people said, Well, I felt God about to led me to buy a house in wherever, Liberty Island, Redwater, Texarkana, wherever, and this is my job and this is my church, and I wake up one day, I just don't like it here. I don't want to be here. I wish I was somewhere else. Have you ever felt like that? But listen, if God led you here, stay with me, if God puts you here and He's not moved you somewhere else, then don't you think you need to get happy about where He's put you? Because there's a reason for it. And you can sit there and get mad and just watch ball games at TV or old movies or whatever you do or run or job. You can just do things or you can find kingdom purpose and you can take up your cross and follow Him. I'm preaching better than your amening this morning. Let me give you another one. Uh, go to Acts chapter 8. 
God provides us opportunities to do something for Him that have an expiration label. What I mean by that, if we don't do what He asks, He'll find somebody else. Now that's a tragedy. If we don't do what God asks us to do, He'll find somebody else. It would have been a tragedy in my life if that Gideon had not appeared uh, before I joined the military, and I'm waiting with this group of about 150 uh, Navy guys. Uh, it would have been a tragedy if that Gideon had not taken time on his lunch break to come by and give me a Gideon Bible that five days after that I wrote my name in the back and said, I want to follow Christ. Now, I believe God would have found somebody else, but just what's going to happen one day when we get to heaven? Listen, all the things that I've done in my life, that's going to be accredited towards his account because as he served the Lord. He would have missed something if he'd have stayed home that day. And can I tell you, you miss something when you stay home on the day that God has something for you to do. Let me give you another scripture about timing here as we wrap this up. Acts 8.26. This is, this is so profound. It's early in the life of the church. Persecution in the New Testament is everywhere. Philip has gone to Samaria. And in Samaria, he's witnessing, he's sharing Christ. It's a profound time. Miracles are happening. People being filled with the, with the Spirit. Miracles happen. All these things going on. But in verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go towards the south to a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now where he is, he's somewhere in Samaria, and I didn't calculate this, but he's way up north, and now he's got to go down south because there's someone south of Jerusalem that he's supposed to meet. Let's just say that maybe it's 50 miles. It's probably more, but let's just say it's about 50 miles. But what does verse 27 say he did? He rose and went. So God told him to go somewhere. didn't tell him why or what he was supposed to do, but he just said yes. And there's an Ethiopian. He's a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So this is a very high political official. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And here's what I want you to see. God had selected that man for salvation. But God needed someone to get in his pathway to tell him about Jesus. The timing of this blows my mind. Verse 28, uh, Philip goes, and this Ethiopian man was returning. He's seated in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now think about that. The world would say, well, what a coincidence. That's not coincidence. That's the timing of God. That's a divine junction. And then the Holy Spirit, verse 29, the, the same Holy Spirit, by the way, that lives in you. He said to Philip, go there. And, and Philip, listen, uh, Philip, uh, go join the chariot. Now, here's what I would be thinking if God told me to do something like this. Okay, there's a man parked in the parking lot over there, or there's a woman in the parking lot. I want you to just go over there and, and talk to them. I'd say, well, now, Lord, she, she, she might be a concealed weapon carrier, and she might shoot me. She might be scared. Or she might say, heck, with a concealed license, she just may have a gun. She's going to protect herself, so I don't want to get shot. Or, Lord, you know, she doesn't know who I am. Or she'll be scared. I don't want to frighten her. There's a million reasons. They're all factual, and they all potentially have truth. But if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something, I mean, no, the best response is simply to say, yeah. Philip ran to him. And verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began with the Scripture, and he told them the good news about Jesus. Now you say, okay, well, so what's the big deal? Timing is everything. The gospel now went to Africa. Previously, the gospel had been relegated to the area of Jerusalem, that little portion of the Middle East there. It had begun to go north a little bit when Paul migrates that way a couple of chapters later. But right now, it's pretty much centered around Jerusalem. Well, here's this guy that just went to worship there, and now he's going home. And now the gospel is going to go. Christianity is about to go to the continent of Africa. And it went there because one man simply acted within his purpose 
in the timing that God directed, and he made steps towards this man, and the kingdom of God has expanded. Can I tell you, that is exactly what God wants to do with you in your life. And it may not be as what you may call mystical or always hearing the voice, but I can tell you this, friends. Every day of your life, you're going to be contacting people. You're going to have opportunities. And there will be burdens on your heart, and it will be a chance for you to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give the Lord a big hand today. Now, let me wrap up. Give us about five more minutes here. Let's go back to Esther. The first thing I talked to you about this morning was purpose. The second thing was timing. And here, the third thing is favor. Now, here's the story. She's a queen. But there was a rule that said basically no one, including the queen, could go to the king. In other words, the king has to ask for you to come. And if he doesn't, you could die. So if you catch the guy in a bad mood, he could be off with your head even if you're pretty. I mean, if he replaced Vashti, he can replace you. You know, so, so Mordecai said, listen, though, girl, God's in this thing. God's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this, but now's the time. I mean, she could have said no, but she said yes. And here's the way she said yes. She said, what we're going to do first is we're going to fast and pray. We're going to ask God to begin to get involved here because here's what I know. When you get involved doing your part, God's going to get involved doing his part. And God's going to do things that you could never do. You know, it would be... In my own mind, it would be impossible for me to ever have an audience with a president or a head of state and that person was listening. Now, I could get a photo op and if I gave them a bunch of money, they'd take my picture. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about someone of, of high rank find out about you and say, I want to meet with you and I want to talk with you. Sharon, Lord, what do you think we need to do as this political party? Or what do you think I need to do as the president of the United States for our nation right now? I'm not talking about a photo op in a coffee shop somewhere. I'm talking about a heart-to-heart -heart when you hear a man saying, I don't know what to do with our country. It's falling apart. And that would be impossible for me to have that to happen to me. But that's not impossible for God to be able to do that. God took a slave named Esther, and now she's the queen. But she's got to step into her purpose. So she goes into the king's, wherever he is, his office or wherever, and he says, he rears back in his chair, and I'm guessing here, he says, hey, baby, how are you? She said, well, I'm okay, but I, I, got, I need to talk to you. He said, well, what do you want? She said, well, I, I want to have a party. I want you to come, and, and I'm going to invite Haman, too. Haman's your vice president, kind of your second hand. Haman kind of puffs his... He has no clue what's about to happen. Haman's got this thing going. He's still mad at Mordecai. And he is so mad because Mordecai wouldn't bow. He's built a gallows to hang Mordecai. It's an incredible story in the background how you see the hand of God at work. Well, lo and behold, she goes into him after the first day. Then she starts putting on some of that womanly charm. Girls, you know what I'm talking about? She does that thing where she's going to do everything she can to get what she wants. So after this first banquet day, the king says, well, what is it? She said, I want to do this again tomorrow night, and I'll tell you. Now, I don't know if she winked or what she did, but, but, but he said, okay. And Haman's thinking, man, this is going to be great. Well, they go in on day number two at the party, and the king says, tell me, doll, what is it? I I'll, do, I'll give you anything. I'll give you half my kingdom. Now, that's a lot of diamond rings. She could get anything she wanted. Here's what she did. She just teared up a little bit, and she said, somebody's trying to kill me. And all of a sudden, rage came on King. And all of a sudden, Mordecai turned white as a ghost. Somebody's trying to kill me, and I'm a Jewish, I'm a Jewish person. He said, who is it? 
It's him, that Haman, that wicked Haman. And now you're choosing between your wife and the vice president. So he walks out of the room just a minute, and Haman realizes he's in big trouble. He, Esther is reclining on a couch, just like in an easy chair, if you can imagine that. Something like that. And he goes and he gets on his knee and he gets kind of close to her to beg for his life. The king comes in the room and says, now he's hitting on my wife. And all of a sudden, the king's servants go and they put this bag over, over Haman's head. And one of the guards that kind of was, had an affinity towards the Jews, he was going to hang Haman, by the way. Or he was going to hang Mordecai. And the king said, hang him. So Haman, who was going to kill the Jews, is now killed himself. It's like this whole onslaught that was going to destroy the Jewish nation, just like that, God turned it around. Just like that. Just like that. But he did it because a woman was in position and she did what she needed to do. And then God did what only he could do. Now, I want to tell you, it gets even better than that. Well, then she asked for the Jewish race to be saved, so everybody's going to be okay. How many know the Jews are the lineage through whom Christ came into the world? Pretty important to God. So not only does she protect her people, but then this thing's going on where, where the king says, you know, my vice president had a lot of property and a lot of houses and a lot of businesses. I think, Esther, I'm going to give them to you. And then he said, Haman, I want you to run all that. As a matter of fact, Haman, I don't want you to just run uh, Haman's house, Mordecai. I want you to be the vice president of Persia. So now we've got a slave that became a queen, and now we've got another slave that became the vice president of the land. Now, I want to tell you, friends, God can do some incredible things. But it was the unshakable faith of Mordecai uh, and, and, and Esther. See, when this whole bad thing started happening, Mordecai said, Listen, God's going to deliver us, whether he does it through you or not. But you got a chance to be used of God in a powerful, powerful, powerful way, girl. Step up to the plate and hit the ball. And that's exactly what happened. She hit the ball and she got a home run. And come on, the kingdom is expanded and God blessed her socks off as well. Give the Lord a big hand today. That's the way it works. Purpose and timing. Now, I'm going to have a little prayer for you with a message. And then Pastor Mike is going to come and we're going to have our altar team will be here for you as long as you need personal prayer. I'm telling you something powerful is happening around the altars of these church after our services. The Holy Spirit is moving in people's lives. Prophetic gifts are working. Listen, God can do some big things in your world because I know there's a lot of you that brought some baggage to church today. I know there's a lot of people that are here today that had some struggles going on in your world and you really need God to help you. I promise you, friend, He will. We're going to make time for that. But right now, I want to just to pray with you about this message you've heard about your life and God's purpose for your life. Would you bow your head just a minute? I want you to answer this question. Do you want to do what God's called you to do? Do you want to fulfill every task that God has for you? Do you want to be the person God wants you to be? Do you want to seize every opportunity, whether they're small opportunities in the backyard or national opportunities that save a nation? If you want to offer yourself to God for that purpose, I want you to kind of cup your hands in front of you. It's kind of a it's a symbolic or a prophetic act. Those hands like you were putting water in your hands. And I want you to just right now present your life afresh to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to offer my life to you. I want you to use me to make a difference in this world. I give you myself, Lord, in a brand new way, in a brand new day. I want you to take me. I want you to use me for your glory. 
Lord, today I want to give up my rights. I want to see that my success is not just for me. It's for your kingdom. And I would ask, Lord, that you would use me for the big things and the little things. And help me to be able to hear your voice so I don't miss out. Let me operate in that divine timing. Let me fulfill every page of my life that's been written in a book before I was born. Would you just take my steps from this day forward and order them in the perfect will of God. I give you my life afresh today in Jesus' name. Anybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, uh, Pastor Mike's going to pray with you this morning. I love you. It's been great to see you tonight. We'll be doing this again Wednesday night. I hope you're here. And uh, you bring a friend next weekend. You come check out our Saturday night service. Pastor Mike. Amen. How many believe you have a purpose? Well, I spent 30 years in church, but nobody really asked me the question that Pastor John mentioned during the service. If you died today, would you go to heaven? until I was 30 years old and I got to think, oh man, maybe I do more good than bad. Maybe I can talk my way in. But then he told me four things that changed my life. He said, number one, God loves you and has a plan for your life. I thought that, man, that's good. I remember my dad telling me he loved me and there's a plan for my life. And, and I was in the midst of things going well, but there was something missing in my life. It was a relationship with God. So God loved me, had a plan for my life. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. And the third thing was Jesus died on the cross for my sins, to bridge that gap of sin and to I can have a relationship and know that plan. And I knew all those things through Sunday school and church. But yet, I would show up to church and live like the devil the rest of the week. And the fourth thing he said was what I hadn't heard before. You must individually invite Jesus Christ into your life. You must ask him in. You must confess him as your Lord and Savior. And that's what I hadn't done. And I raised my hand that day and I said a simple prayer to invite Jesus into my life. And you know, still there was no angels come out of the sky or any bolts of lightning. But I began to have a peace in my life I never had before. And God began to reveal that plan to me. And I'm going to tell you, he's here today. He loves you, but you have to invite him in. God will not force his way into your life. So you're here and you don't know where you'd spend eternity. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, if you want to get back right with God, you've gotten off track, I want you to just hold your hand up right now where you're at and I'll pray with you. Need to get right with God? Go ahead and raise it up. I saw some hands kind of moving. You're going to say, how many have done this before? You've raised your hand and asked Christ in your life. Hold up your hand. Okay, see you're in good company. You can put them back down. Okay, now see your hand. Who else needs to lift their hand and ask Christ in their life? Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Don't put it off. That's the devil's voice you're hearing. The Holy Spirit's really saying, I want to show you my love. One more time. Anybody else want to ask Christ into your life? Hallelujah. Well, I want our altar team to come up. And they're going to be up here, and they'll pray any need you have. And if you've raised your hand, I want you to especially come up when we stand. And when you stand, we all stand, they're going to give you a big round of applause when we stand. But we're going to be up here. We're going to pray for healing. If you need healing in your body, I really believe there's some people in this room that need freedom. That word was spoken from one of our uh, staff members this morning. That, that's what they felt like God was saying. You saw it in the drama. My daughter turned to me and says, you wouldn't believe how many of those young people that were in that drama that God set free from drugs, from depression, from discouragement. I'm telling you, there's freedom here. So come and agree with somebody. They'll pray with you in any direction in your life. Let's all stand on our feet. Give those a hand that raise their hand to ask Christ in your life. You in the back, if you'd come up. Altars are open. Pastor is going to lead us in a song. Stay for one chorus, and then we'll dismiss you.